What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And now we see that same tender love that made up the special relationship between the Lord Jesus and God the Father. And he calls out, my God and thou. And just as it was the hardest for Abraham to hear his son Isaac call out to him, my father, it was the hardest for God the Father to hear the Lord Jesus call out to him, my God, thou, why hast thou forsaken me? This was not a treacherous Judas who was doing this to him that had forsaken him. This was not a weak Peter that had forsaken the Lord. This was God the Father that had forsaken him. And so all the power of that comes out in the word thou. Thou has forsaken me. It's made it so hard to bear. Forsaken, forsaken, not corrected, abandoned. Forsaken, like being cast off. He didn't say, why hast thou forsaken? He didn't say that. But it was all the more personal when he said, why hast thou forsaken me? To describe again how personal this was. Why have thou and me in the question, why has thou forsaken me? Just it brings out this deeper question that he's really asking here. What about our relationship? Because there was no one closer to God the Father than the Lord Jesus Christ. So after he asked this piercing question, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He goes on to, to make the worst statement that anyone could possibly make when he says that God is so far from helping me. That's a horrible state to be in. It reminds you of of these accounts of people who their boat is sunk or crashed or whatever, and they're in a they're in a boat there in the in the ocean, and they see cargo ships coming by, and they send up flares and they yell and do everything, and the ship just goes by. People describe that what that feels like. That's what he's describing here. Why are you so far from helping me? In verse two, he stated that I'm not being heard. God is not hearing me. What a horrible feeling. In verse three is the feeling that he has that he has actually been made into the sin offering and that God can't look on him. He is the spotless lamb of God, but the spotless lamb of God is carrying the load of sin of the world on him. It's been placed on him and he feels the separation from God. Now, it's important to state at this point that while we're looking at what happened to the spotless lamb of God, we're also looking 
at what happens to every soul that's cast into hell and how a person feels so acutely in hell that he's been abandoned by God, he's been forsaken by God. In hell, he's saying, God gave up on me, I'm abandoned for eternity. In hell, a person who's been cast into hell, he cries out to God constantly for for help and there's no response. There are blood-curdling cries right now in hell. And how a person who is cast into hell is so acutely aware that he's not separated from his sin. He's separated from God, but he's not separated from the sin. He doesn't wanna be separated from God, he wants to be separated from his sin. And it's because he's not separated from his sin that, that he's separated from God. And in hell, people are wishing, I wish I could be rid of my sin. I wish it could be gone from me. And the Lord Jesus described this horrible state in John 8, 24, John 8, 24, when the Lord said, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. What he meant there is that you will die permanently attached to your sins, not separated from your sins which means you can never be helped by God forever. And he turns his eyes to the wonderful histories in the Bible of those who who trusted in God and they were delivered. They trusted in God and they were delivered. And he looks at all these histories of the children of God and he sees the pattern. They, They depended on God. They relied on God over and over again. He repeats, trusted, 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 delivered, delivered. Verse four, our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted Thou dost deliver them. Verse five, they cried unto thee, were delivered, they trusted in thee. And he keeps repeating this three times about how they trusted in God and and they were delivered. And each time he comes back to this haunting question, what about me? They, they trusted, they were delivered, what about me? Why am I still not delivered when everybody else was delivered? What's wrong with me? that I'm not delivered. And these are the questions that haunt him. And this is what makes up the reason for why he is described in Hebrews 5.7, in Hebrews 5.7, who in the days of his flesh had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. And so in verse one, he turns to God with his cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so the answer is that in verse two, thou hearest not. Verse four, we see how he turns to consider the experience of others, and and he finds no comfort there either. And now we come to our verse, in verse six, where he turns to himself. He turns to himself, and he says, but I'm a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despise of the people. He says, I'm a worm. Anoki, anoki tovla, I am a worm. I am a worm, where the Hebrew word tovla, it means maggot. I'm a maggot or a grub that when it was stepped on releases this red staining liquid as it's being smashed. And we said that that's what was used to stain fabrics like the red fabric in the tabernacle that spoke of his blood. But how low he saw himself when he said, I am a worm. That's about as low as you can get. He said, lo ish, lo ish, no man. Uh, Lo ish and no man. And no man. So in verse six, he's thinking about himself as you're on the cross. He says, I'm no man. I'm a worm and no man. And this is the conclusion that he has drawn about himself. And so what we really are looking at here, and this is what we said there here, is that Psalm 22 fills in the picture of him on the cross that the gospels do not tell us. The gospels do not tell us what he was thinking on the cross. And when we read the gospels, we're just struck. He seems so silent. And we wondered, 
You read the Gospels, you wonder, was he so out of his mind with pain and shock that he was oblivious to what was going on? What was he thinking? I mean, after all, the soldiers, they knew what he was gonna go through, and even they showed mercy in offering him a narcotic, a morphine, so to speak, of vinegar and gall. And when he tasted that, in Matthew 27, 34, Matthew 27, 34, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. He knew it was a narcotic, he said no. He would not allow himself to be put out of his mind. He, he said, I, I won't take the morphine. But he seems so silent on the cross in the Gospels. We wonder, what's going on? What's he thinking? What's happening? And these are the verses that answer that question of just how much aware the Lord Jesus was of what was going on with him and between God and how different his state was in comparison to the Father's and how terrible his state was that he compares himself to a worm. He turns from, from looking at his condition and of being spiritually forsaken by God, not heard by God, being physically like a worm, no longer even a man, and he turns to the people below the cross and now he sees them. He's looked at, looked at God, the Father. He's looked at the history of the people of God, histories. He's looked at himself. Now he looks at those in front of him. And he sees the first and foremost conclusion, observation that he has is he says, I am a reproach of men, in verse seven. I am a reproach of men. That's what he says. He says, I am a reproach of men, in verse six. Now, the Hebrew word here that's used for reproach is the word cherpa, cherpa, which means reproach, but it also means a disgrace and a shame. So he sees that the people are looking at him, and they're looking at him, and they're saying, He's a shame. He's a shame of Israel. He sees the people looking at him and, and concluding what a shame he is. The Lord was looked at as a shame to the Jewish people. The Jewish people saw the Lord Jesus as a shame. Nothing has changed. That's the way it is today. It's so interesting. Go, if you go to the internet and just type in, on the search engine there, just type in, who are the most famous Jews who ever lived? Very simple question. You'll get a list. And if it's a list that's compiled by a Jewish person, you will see names like Albert Einstein, Leonard Bernstein, Sigmund Freud, Sandy Koufax, Moses, Karl Marx, Paul Ehrlich, King David, Bob Dylan, Jerry Seinfeld, Jonas Salk, and Frank Goldemeyer. And the list goes on and on. Maybe you see Benjamin Netanyahu, I don't know. But if a Gentile compiles a list of the most famous Jews who ever lived. The Gentile looks at the Jew who is the most known and worshiped by billions of people who all the world knows about, and he puts Jesus of Nazareth at or near the top of the list, but not in the Jerusalem Post. You will not find that in the Jerusalem Post. So when a typical person sees Jesus of Nazareth, typical Jewish person, sees Jesus of Nazareth at the top of the list, I can tell you his reaction. It's like, oh no, 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 no. When you say to a typical Jewish person, do you know, do you, have you ever thought that Jesus was Jewish? As if it's some revelation. You know what, the Jewish person really doesn't like to acknowledge that and it's kind of like, yeah, I guess he was. Why is that? Why is that? Why don't Jewish people put the name at the top or near the top of the most famous Jewish person that is the only Jewish person that is more known to everybody down through the ages. He's followed by billions of people. Why don't Jewish people think of Jesus 
as number one, the most influential, the most famous Jew that ever lived. Why do Jewish people typically not think of Jesus as Jewish? Why do Jewish people typically cringe at the thought that Jesus was Jewish? And verse six is the answer. The answer is verse six. I am a reproach of men. I am a reproach of Jewish people. Of Jewish people. I am a herpa of men. I am a shame to my people. They are ashamed of me. He's still ashamed to the Jewish people. They never say, he's one of ours. They don't say that. What an amazing statement that the Jewish people still think of the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus, as a shame to Israel, or herpa. What an amazing statement that after 2,000 years, they still see him as a shame. So this statement in verse six, I am a shame of men, it shows us that there's gonna come a fulfillment of a prophecy in Romans 11.26. In Romans 11.26, it says, all Israel shall be saved. So that's a day that's coming when every Jewish person who will be alive or survive, and only one-third will survive, that they will all be saved. And, and so the term remnant's not gonna have any meaning anymore because all Israel shall be saved. And when will that occur? When will that happen? And how will you know? when all Israel shall be saved. And it's all tied up in verse six. It's all tied up in verse six. Now, today we can say that all Israel views Jesus as a shame, a shame to the Jewish people. Think of it like a meter, okay, a saved meter. And today, the saved meter for the Jewish people, it's pegged all the way in the red zone, you know, the zone that says lost. The zone that says lost and the zone of the meter that also said, says Jesus is viewed as a shame. So lost and Jesus is viewed as a shame. shame. That's the way the meter is stayed. Well, when, that, when is that saved meter gonna swing all the way over to the other side and the other side, the saved side, the saved side of the meter, and when that's gonna happen, then the Jewish people are gonna view the Lord Jesus as the opposite of a shame. Well, what is the opposite of a shame? It says over there, Jesus is viewed with respect, with honor, with praise, with pride. We're proud of him. And that's what's marked on the other side of the saved meter. So on the other side of the saved meter, we have where the Jewish people are right now. They're on the, on the wrong side. They're ashamed of the Lord Jesus. But when they all get saved in Romans eleven twenty six, then the Lord, then then the Jewish people are going to respect the Lord Jesus. They're going to honor him. They're going to praise him. They're gonna say, he's one of ours. Then the Jewish people will say, put Jesus of Nazareth at the top of that best Jews list, the best Jews who ever lived. He's, he, he's so much on the top, don't put anybody else after him. Yeah. And, and then that's when the needle's gonna peg out on the save side, when, when it all swings over to the save side. And, and that needle's gonna swing over so fast, it's probably gonna break off. And if you wanna see what it looks like, you wanna see what it really looks like, all you have to do is just look at Isaiah 9, 6, very very, very famous verse. Very, very famous verse. Where Isaiah 9, 6, where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us the son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So when this saved meter swings all the way over to the saved side for the Jewish people, the Jewish people are gonna, are gonna do the opposite of Psalm 22, verse 6. So verse 6 of Psalm 22. Right now, verse 6 Psalm 22, they see him as a shame of the people. But at that day, they're gonna be shouting out Isaiah 9, 6, and they're gonna say something like, hey, everybody, look, 
Look, unto us a child is born, the most important Jewish child that was ever born. He's one of ours. They're going to say, hey, everybody, will you just look at this? This Jewish boy that was born was really the son that was given. This was God the Son. He was given to us by God the Father to be a Jewish child that was born to us. It's going to be, hey, everybody, this Jewish boy has the governments of the worlds on his shoulder. And we're, we're going to hear all the Jewish people shout, out, li- shout out, li- out loud, hey, world, this Jewish boy is the wonderful counselor. We go to him for all of our needs. He gives us wonderful counsel from God. He's better than King Solomon. And the Jewish people are going to say, hey, this Jewish man is the mighty God. This Jewish man is called the everlasting father. You can't tell the difference between him and the everlasting father and God the father. Why, this Jewish man is God. I mean, God came to man as man, a Jewish man. Shazam, that's what they're going to say. (laughs) So it's going to be this great respect this great praise, this great adoration. All the Jewish people are going to look on Jesus and they're going to say, for all of our existence, we have longed for peace. And not just us, the whole world has longed for peace. There's never been peace. And now this Jewish man has brought peace to the world and he is the prince of peace. That's what they're going to say. And when all the Jewish people talk like that about the Lord Jesus, that's the opposite of verse 6 where the Lord Jesus will never be seen as a shame of the Jewish people, but from that point on, the Jewish people will see the Lord Jesus as their ultimate pride and joy, their ultimate pride and joy of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people will be right behind the Lord Jesus Christ, and they'll say, don't call us Jewish people anymore. Call us Jesus people. (laughs) Because we are the original Jesus people. I don't know about that hippie stuff. We are the Jesus people. That's what's going to happen. And when all that happens, when the Jewish people do that, the Lord Jesus is going to, going to see the fulfillment of Matthew 23, 39. Matthew 23, 39, where he says, I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, blessed is he that comes and you know, cometh in the name of the Lord. That means that, that they will say that about the Lord Jesus. They will say, he comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, Jesus is their Messiah, sent from God. And, and, and that's gonna be such a wonderful day Zechariah 13.9, Zechariah 13.9, when God talks about this, he says, I'll bring the third part through the fire. I'll refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried and they shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say, it is my people and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Now, that is not just talking about God. That's talking about God, Jesus is saying this. And it's gonna happen when the Jewish people are gonna say to Jesus, the Lord Jesus is our God. God is gonna to say to about them, it's my people. Yes, they are the Jesus people. That's the way it's gonna happen. And, and when that happens, the save meter's gonna go way on the other side and they're gonna be in, in the save zone and, and, and God, Jesus, is gonna be so happy that in Zephaniah, Zephaniah 3.17, Zephaniah 3.17, it says, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty, he will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy, he will rest in his love, he will joy over thee with singing. We've been singing tonight. This is where God, the only place in the Bible where it talks about God is gonna sing. God, Jesus, is gonna sing over the Jewish people. He's gonna be so happy. And not only are gonna sing all the, uh, over them, but God's gonna call on other people to sing for joy in Jeremiah 31.7. Jeremiah 31.7. For thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob. Shout among the chief of the nations. Publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people. The Lord is gonna turn to others 
And he's going to say, don't just stand there, sing. <laughs> sing, sing for the joy over the Jewish people as they've come home. And now they're calling themselves the Jesus people. But on the cross, and today, the saved meter is pegged out on the wrong side, on the lost side, on the shame side, as they see the Lord Jesus and he says in Psalm 22, 6, I am a shame, I am a reproach of men. Now, he further looks at the people and he realizes that not only is he the shame of the Jewish people, but he said, I am despised of the people, I am despised. Now this is referring to, again, the people that are below him and it shows us how sensitive he was on the cross. He's feeling it, he's really feeling it. He's feeling this being despised, it really hurt him. It hurt the Lord Jesus because, again, it's the opposite of what, what will be, the opposite. So we talked about the shame, this is the despise. In Luke 2.32, Luke 2.32, the prophecy about him is, Luke 2.32, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So what did this happen? Joseph and Mary, they had brought the baby Jesus to Jerusalem for him to be circumcised like prescribed on the law on the eighth day. And there in Jerusalem was an old man. He was there at that time. His name was Simeon. He was a godly man. He longed for, he prayed for, he hoped for what is called the consolation of Israel. In other words, the coming of the Messiah. And so the Lord indicates to this old man, Simeon, that you're not gonna die until you have seen the Lord's Messiah. So there he is, he's old, he's in Jerusalem, and the day when baby Jesus is brought into Jerusalem for the circumcision, and Simeon comes along, he takes up the baby Jesus in his arms, in Luke 2.28, Luke 2.28, it says, then took he him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, now, Lord, Lord, now lettest thou, thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Mine eyes have seen thy Yeshua. Thine eyes, mine eyes have seen thy Jesus, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And when Simeon knew that the time had come for him to die because he had seen God's salvation, he said about him, he is the glory of God's people, of the Jewish people. He called the Lord Jesus the glory of the Jewish people. What did that mean? You know, I've got a book in my library, it's called, uh, written by a Jewish Holocaust survivor, and the title of the book is, When Being Jewish Was a Crime. And the book was written by Rachmel Friedland, and he was a Polish Jew, it was not great to be a Polish Jew, and how, he, how he, along with many other Jews, were, were by definition criminals by the Germans, by the Nazis, just for being Jewish. And what's so great about Rachmel Friedman is that his life just kind of became a condensed history of the Jewish people. I mean, it's like, kind of like Paul who said that he was a pattern that the Jewish people are gonna follow. So Rachmel Friedman, he was an Orthodox Jew. He was raised in all the traditions of the Talmud. And, and, and simply because he was Jewish, he was a criminal. And, and Rachmel Friedman, it wasn't good to be a Jew in Nazi Germany, and well, in that case, in Poland, during the Nazi occupation. And, and it, wasn't, it, well, it wasn't even great to be a Jew before the Nazi occupation of Poland. Poland was, anyway, an anti-Semitic country. And that's the way it was being Jewish in many countries. It's not great because of anti-Semitism. Today, it's becoming less and less great to be Jewish because of the growing anti-Semitism. It's not great to be a Jew in France because of the, the anti-Semitism in France, the extreme Islamists. It's not great today to be a Jewish student's student uh, on the US campuses, on the college campuses, because of the growing anti-Semitism. And that's why Rockmills Friedman's title of his book is so relevant 
because it has been the same in Egypt and Spain and Russia and Babylon and Germany and Europe when being Jewish was a crime. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.